Church, we are coming to the very end of the series that we are calling Leaving Neverland. All right, say goodbye to Neverland because what this whole thing is about, obviously, is uh, God calls us to do two things, to come to Him in Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing you can do. But then also once you've come to Him, to grow up in Him. We're supposed to grow up and be mature Christian adults or mature adults in Jesus Christ. We're supposed to grow up and learn what it means to walk with Him. We don't want to be spiritual Peter Pans. That's what we're calling it, leaving Neverland. Neverland was that place where Peter Pan just never wanted to grow up with his boys. We want to grow up in the Lord Jesus Christ. So because of that, and by the way, the reason we want to do that is because, we've already told you this, our Father has so much for us, and He has so much for us to do. Let's say that together one more time. Our Father has so much for us, and He has so much for us to do. One more time. Our Father has so much for us, and He has so much for us to do. It's the same thing with a little child growing up. When they're just a little child, you look at them, and you know, there's so much ahead of you. There's so many great things ahead of you. There's so many great things you're going to be able to do in life, but not if you stay six. You're going to have to grow up, and as you grow up, you will discover so many wonderful things in life, and you'll discover your place and why you were here, and you will do great things. It's the same thing that God says to us when we come to him. Look, I don't want you to stay children forever. I've got so many great things in store for you, and I've got so many great things for you to do, but you can't do them if you stay a spiritual infant. That's why the Bible says this. No prolonged infancies among us, please. We will not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are an easy mark for imposters. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and to tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us, so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. We've got to grow up. Now, how do we grow up? When you say, well, it's just natural. If you just kind of stick around and hang around, you'll grow up. No, you'll just get older is what happens. Okay? <laughs> you'll, you, you may have been a Christian for 20 years. That doesn't mean you grew up. It just means you're older. Growing up in Jesus takes a little more work. Okay? Here we go. We grow up as we consistently meet with Jesus for the purpose of soul work. That's how you grow up. Jesus will grow you up, but only as you consistently meet with him for the purpose of being shaped in his image. It isn't a natural process. It doesn't just happen. Even coming to church week after week after week will not grow you up. If all you want to do is sit there, it doesn't work that way. All you're going to do is spend your time. It's a nice way to spend a morning. I mean, let's face it. But if you come week after week after week and say, you know, I'm really not growing up, well, probably because you're not coming for the purpose of meeting with Jesus. That's not why you're here. Maybe you're here because you're supposed to be, or maybe you're here because you want something, which is not necessarily bad. If you're a seeker here this morning, if you really don't know what this is all about, and just kind of looking, that's wonderful. You're welcome here. It's great. But for those of us who are Christ followers, who walk with him, if we're coming, we need to come to meet with Jesus. You should walk in those doors and say, I'm coming today to hear from my Lord. That's one of the things that Matt wants to talk about next week in that three hours he's going to go over worship and celebration. We have, and by the way, we have a specific name for all these things that we use, these specific ways that we meet with Jesus for soul work. We call them spiritual disciplines. 
I, you know, if somebody could come up with a better phrase, I'd love that. Because when we use the word spiritual disciplines, people go, oh my word, you know, it's terrible. What is discipline all about? You hate discipline. If you could come up with a different phrase, I, send it to me. Email Doug Bailey at SalemFirst.com. Pastor at Salem First will also work. Doug at Salem First will work. Those are the only three. So don't try anything else. Baldy at Salem First will get you nowhere. <laughs> Just to be clear, okay? Anyway, I'd love to, if there's another term, but right now this is the term we have. This is the classic term. It's the classic term we've been using for, for thousands of years, all right? And just as a reminder, for spiritual disciplines to work, they have to be this. They have to be intentional. You have to intend to do it. You have to intend to come in here and meet with Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ to meet with you and, and shape you. It has to be purposeful. You want to come for the purpose of growing up and for hearing from him. Father, what are you going to say to me today? And it has to be often. You can come to church a couple times a year, which is wonderful. You're welcome here. If, this is, if, you're, if you're the type of person who only comes to church once or twice, you're welcome here. It's great to have you here. I just have to tell you, it's not going to shape you very much once or twice a year. That if you can come and be part of us on a weekly basis and then part of everything else that we do, yeah, you can be shaped and changed as long as it's intentional to meet with Jesus for the purpose of soul work, and it's done often, okay? <clears throat> There's lots of different spiritual disciplines out there, uh, but we're really looking at these classic ones so far, which is worship and celebration. That was a few weeks ago. Bible reading and memorization. Prayer and meditation was last week. Community and accountability. Service and sharing. Those are the ones we're looking at. There are so many others. I've got a book on my shelf this thick of spiritual disciplines. You can check it out, keep it. That'd be fine with me if you want it. But what we did last week was we looked at prayer and meditation. Remember? Do you remember the three main types of prayer? What are the three main types of prayer? They are help. Thanks. Wow. Isn't that great? I got that from Anne Lamont. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, help. Thanks. Did you guys pray those this week at all? Yeah. Was it good to just be able to go thanks and, uh, and, and help? And, and did you get any wow moments this week where you just said, wow. Yeah, that's great. Those are the three basic times of prayer. Prayer doesn't have to be long, doesn't have to be involved. As a matter of fact, if it is long involved, you have to ask yourself why. Are you trying to impress God with your words? He's not impressed. Are you trying to impress the people who are listening? Then you're sinning. <laughs> Just don't do that. If you've learned to pray long, that's wonderful, but please don't think that it has to be long. You can pray all week long. Help, thanks, and wow. But then we also talked about meditation which is letting it meditation do you remember meditation is is the hot tub of the spiritual life okay just as you want to get into a hot tub you just want to get in and dip yourself and get out that just makes you wet but if you get in that hot tub and you let the bubbles and you let the warmth soak into you and you're so relaxed that's what meditation is you you soak in the word of God. You soak in thinking about him. That's meditation. You do it all the time. Some of you are doing it right now, although you're not meditating on God, you're meditating on something else. You call it worry, or we call it infatuation, or we call it daydreaming. That's meditation, people. And some of you right now are so involved in meditation. And if you want to meditate for the rest of this time and not even listen to what, what we're going to say, that's fine, as long as you meditate on the word of God. Okay, could you do that? Pull out the Bible, read it, meditate. That would be lovely. Don't worry today in church. Don't meditate on if you get a million dollars, unless you're going to give a lot of it to us, because then you're going to be fine, all right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Meditation is just letting it all soak in. So here we go. Today, we're going to be talking about this, community and accountability. Community 
And to understand this, we need to explore. Now we're into your sermon notes right here if you want to pull those out. To understand this, it's important to accept and explore this concept right here. We are created in his image or in the image of God. And you say, what in the world does that have to do with spiritual disciplines and community and accountability? It has everything to do with it. Stick with me and we will get you there. You are created in the image of God. Every human is. This is what the Bible says. Then God said, Genesis chapter 1, right at the beginning, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, mankind, people, if you want to use that word, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. You are made in the image of God. What in the world does that mean? It does not mean that God looks like you, unless you're a Mormon. Now, if you're a Mormon, that's exactly what they would say. God looks exactly like you. Or let's say you look exactly like God, because to them, God is nothing more than a human being who's been exalted. He has a body up there, just as you have a body of flesh and bones. He looks just like you, because he was a human somewhere. Did you know that? You didn't take my class, did you? A couple, of weeks, a couple of months ago. The Mormons believed that God was a human at some point on another planet, became, and he grew, and he grew, and he grew, and now he's God up there, and he looks just like you. He has a body of flesh and bones, just like you do. That is the only religion out there that believes that. We don't believe it. Even the Eastern religions don't believe it. God doesn't look like you. Or let's put it this way, you don't look like God. So what does it mean when, he's, when, we, when it says that we're created in his image? Well, I'm going to tell you why, because you'll see why it's important. First of all is this. It means that you have a free moral will. Human beings above everything else on the planet have a free moral will. This separates us from the animals. Animals don't have a free moral will. They have instincts. They can't be right or wrong. You can train them, but they don't understand right or wrong. They just live by instinct. Many, many years ago, I think it was in Fruitland at the time, maybe even Caldwell, so many years ago, and there was a family there that invited me over, and, and they were showing me their home, and they were showing me their, and they were so very happy because they just got a little pet bunny. And it was out in the backyard. They put a little fence around, and the little bunny was there. And uh, they also had cats and dogs, things like that. They were kind of, kind of people, lots of stuff. And um, just really cute. And so we're watching, and they decided to open the gate and let the pet bunny run around the backyard. And within about five seconds, the cat jumped on it and killed it, just like that. <laughs> Kids are crying. Parents are going, ah! Everybody's going, bad cat, bad cat. No, it's not. It was just doing what cats do. It had no choice in this. Its instinct was, it's on this dinner. Now, was it sad? Of course it was sad. And then I had to be pastoral and help them and comfort them and that kind of thing. But the cat wasn't a bad cat. The cat had no choice. The cat is acting in instinct. It doesn't have choice like us. We saw that with a bigger cat this last week, didn't we? When an intern would work all of her life just to be part of the large animal sanctuaries, went down to Fresno, fulfilling her dream. And while she was cleaning out one of the cages for the lions, the lion was able to get out of its enclosure, 
And even though she had been kind to this lion, fed it, loved it, it killed her with one swipe of its paw. Bad cat? No. It's what cats do. They don't have moral choices. They operate by instinct. All animals do, except you and me. God has given us the ability to choose, to know right and wrong, and to choose. Look at this passage. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I place before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your children will live. You have choices. And that's what it means to be in the image of God. But there's another way that we are created in the image of God. Not just the fact that we have a free moral choice, but also we are created to live in community. Now we're getting to it. This is the second way that we are created in his image. And, and you say, well, because to live in community is, is to live like God. And you might say, well, what community does he live in? Are you talking about the angels in heaven? No, I'm not talking about that at all. Hold on now. Sit down, buckle in. This is going to hurt your head. We have aspirin other places if you need this when the whole thing is done. But here you go. Remember that passage earlier when God said he was going to make us in his image? He said, let us make man in our, ooh, first person plural, for those of you who know English. Who's he talking to? The angels? No. Who's he talking to? Get ready. He's talking to himself. Because God exists in perfect community. We call it, uh, here we go, a trinity. One God who exists, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's how Jesus can be praying to the Father and they're both God. It's how God can say, let us, now I could go into all the Hebrew details and it would just, it would just surprise you, probably just bore you to tears to let you know that in that particular passage there was one person doing the making. Let us make. Make is a singular, one person, us, plural. How can that be? Because God exists in perfect community with himself. How many of you read the book The Shack? Let's see your hand. Okay. How many of you did not understand the book The Shack? Okay. <clears throat> and how many of you said, oh, that's a terrible... No, I'll tell you what. If you read the book The Shack, it's a great book, but please remember... That its purpose is not to tell you how God really operates. It's not scripture. But the greatest thing about that particular book was to see the relationship between the Father, Son, and the Spirit working together in perfect harmony, not as three separate beings, but as one who is three. And how does that work? I have no idea. And I've got degrees from here to there and back again. I gave up even trying to figure it out. I had become very Eastern in my thinking. The Western mind always wants to explain, and usually by using pictures. God is like a four-leaf or a three-leaf clover, or God is like a, a hard-boiled egg or an egg with a shell. And the Eastern mind says, I don't know. I don't know. He just is. I can tell you what he's not. It's not, it's not 
three separate gods and it's not three separate people. I just know I'm becoming very Eastern in my thinking. In the Western mind, it doesn't make any sense because uh, we sing songs like, we even have one called Indescribable, Indescribable. And then we turn around and do what? Try to describe him. How does that work? Wait a minute. You just said he was indescribable. How can you describe him then? You can't. God is not like you and me. God is a completely different type of being. He is not simply an exalted human. He lives in perfect community with himself. And he doesn't even need you to be happy. Or me. He didn't create us because there was something missing in his life, and there's a little bit of hole, and so he decided to create these people who would rebel against him. God exists and has always existed in perfect harmony and unity and community with himself. And when he created his highest creation, which is you and me, he put that within us as well. For us to be whole and healthy, we need to be in community. That's why God said this, also in Genesis, this time in the second chapter, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And you look at that and say, well, he's talking about marriage. Yes, exactly. Marriage is that first community that he's called us to. Because we're not created to be solo individuals. We're created to be in community. Now, some people have what we call the gift of singleness, which just simply means they don't have to be in that marriage covenant. God has given them a special gift for that. Most of us know. Most of us are created with this need to be in a marriage covenant. But even if you have the gift of singleness, you're still called to be part of a community somewhere. Scripture says this, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. When we get along, when the church comes together, when when we are living out community, one group of people made up of individuals, but we come together to love and to care about one another, that's what we're created to do. So I want you to consider this right here. Ready? Here we go. We are never more godly than when we are living in healthy community, and that is a huge switch for me. I have been preaching now for a long, long time. Jimmy Carter was in the middle of his term when I preached my first sermon as a pastor. So that just tells you. It's been a while. I know. I know. I don't know how that happened. I used to be the the young guy in the conference, and I look around and say, I am the oldest pastor by far in our conference. How did that happen? When I first started, the denomination I came from, all of my training, said that I am godly when I stay away from tobacco, alcohol, dancing, movies, I pray, read my Bible, go to church, and give my money. I'm godly. But did you notice something about that? Almost everything about that was just me. It's just what I did. My godliness was just what I did. It's not true. Not true at all. Now, you might call that personal piety, I suppose, but don't really call it godliness. If it was godliness, because godly means to be like God, that means godly, God would just do his own thing up there, completely separate from us, and he would just be holy and perfect and have nothing to do with us, because that's the way we modeled it. All i got to do is be pure, 
and I'm godly. And all he's got to do is be pure and he's godly. And yet he gets his hands dirty, doesn't he? He created us. He walks among us. He lives within us. He interacts with who we are. And that's godly. We are never more godly than we are living in healthy. You want to know what godly is? You saw it this last week when a community of people got together and welcomed four homeless families. Said, we'll feed you. We'll care for you. We'll help you. We'll be there to talk with you, to pray with you. That was one of the most godly things we have done in a long, long time. Bet. Because it had nothing to do with your personal purity. It had to do with you getting involved, reaching out as a church, and helping in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we're, we're, we're called to, to live in that community. The, the first community we live in is that, is that family community. We want to be in that healthy community. Then, then we have a larger community we call our friends. And then there's the larger community that we call the church. All of them, we are called to be part of a healthy community. That's how we grow in Jesus Christ. This is a spiritual discipline, all the way from your marriage to your family to the church as well. Your involvement with your marriage and your family and your church is a spiritual discipline if you will meet with Jesus Christ in the middle of all that for the purpose of soul work. And those of you who are married, you know that being in that community with another individual, if it's healthy and Jesus is the center, you grow up in Jesus Christ more than any other community you're part of. But you can do the same thing with friends in small groups. You can do the same thing and should in the larger church. And here's why. Ready? Here's why God calls us to the community. Here's why this is a spiritual discipline and we need, we need to make it an active part of our lives if we're going to grow up in Him. In community, I learn how to, ready? Love and be loved. You, can, you cannot love by yourself. It's just that simple. When God calls us to love, He says, love what? One. How do you do that if there is no one other? How do you fulfill that commandment if there's no one other? If it's just you? God says love one another. You have to learn. You learn to love by being part of a community. That's how it works. You learn to receive it. You learn to give it by being part of community. This is what the Bible says. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God yet hates his brother... He's a liar. Wow, when the Bible calls you a liar, this is not good, okay? It doesn't just say, well, you got a little pride. It says you're a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, (laughs) whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. In other words, you learn to love by loving one another. You demonstrate God loves you and you love God by loving one another. You learn what love is by loving one another. In community, we learn that love is not an emotion. It's an action. When we look at one another and say, I love you. I look at you and say, I love you. It doesn't mean that my heart races every time I see you and I've got this kind of gushy feeling in my stomach. I'm not talking about love as an L-U-V, like I love you, baby. 
I mean, love is an L-O-V-E. It's a, as a matter of fact, we have a series coming up here in just a couple of months about some important words that we misunderstand in the kingdom of God, and one of them is love. We're going to talk about what it really means. Because sometimes that word actually gets in the way for us. Some men say, well, it's all just about that lovey-dovey stuff with God. Well, you know what? We're going to explain what love really is in just a few weeks. But today, all I want you to understand is you can't even learn to love unless you're in community. If you never are in community, if you're all by yourself, you will never, ever know what love is. That's only done in community. In community, we also learn to forgive, to give and receive forgiveness, to forgive and receive forgiveness. That's how we even learn it. It's possible. Now, we know that God forgives us, but did you understand that that forgiveness is made real in community? You did know that, right? That God forgives, but it's made real as you live in community. Let me explain that. Scripture says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We live out this forgiveness, even understanding what it means, only in community. Without community, it's kind of this abstract thought of, well, what does it mean to be forgiven? That's why Jesus said this. Now, hold on, because this is, this is huge. Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared to the disciples, and he said this. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then look. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. What in the world did he mean by that? I thought God was the one who forgave sins. What, what's going on here? Are, are we greater than God that suddenly we're the ones who decide who gets forgiven and who's not? Then we tell God, we send him a note, say, forgive this person, but don't forgive that person? Because that's what it looks like. Except we know the rest of Scripture, that's not true. So what's he talking about? How about this, guys? A person is forgiven by God. And you know what they do? They turn to us and say, did it really happen? Am I really forgiven? We're his church. We're his body. We're the ones who make it real. How we treat that person will determine if they accept their forgiveness or if they pick up their sins once again and walk away. And it will be completely dependent on how we treat them in community. I was at a church one time. It was an unhealthy church. It's about the best I can say about it. Okay, It's very unhealthy. I talked with somebody just recently. That church was 180 people uh, oh, 30 years ago, and it's down to like 20 people. And that doesn't surprise me at all. It was my first church on staff. It was a great experience for me because I'd grown up in a fairly healthy church and suddenly I went to a church that wasn't healthy and went, oh my word, how about that? Opened my eyes, prepared me for the rest of what I was going to see as a pastor over the next 30 or 40 years. One day a young, single mother 
unwed, showed up with her uh, little baby. She'd grown up in the church and had wandered away, gotten pregnant, given birth, didn't abort the baby, didn't do that kind of thing, just kept a baby and came back to church. And in the foyer, one of the dear old saints loudly said, what is she doing here? She has no business being here. Do you understand why the church is 20 today? Okay, there you go. Here was this girl coming back. The church had the opportunity to make that forgiveness real and say, you know what? We love you. You are so welcome here. They didn't. I never saw the girl again. Now compare that to uh, another little dear old lady that, that I knew. Back in the days when uh, all of us wore suits and ties, every, every man out there had to wear a suit and tie. If you don't wear a suit and tie, then you were talked about. You know, it was that kind of dress code in the church, very, very formal. And one day, this, there's no other way to describe it, but hippie walked in the door, <clears throat> barefoot. Um, we're talking early 70s, okay, so a long time ago. The, the hair and the whole bit and came and sat down. Now, of course, the church then had a decision. What are you going to do with this person? You can say, hey, dress code, out. One of the dear old saints of the church got up from where she always sat. She always sat in one spot. She got up and walked over to her, and we all thought, what is going to happen here? (laughs) This will be interesting to see. And she sat down right next to him so he wouldn't be alone for the service. (laughs) I remember that so clearly. It struck me so much. Community had an opportunity to say to this person, I don't care how you're dressed. You're welcome here. We make forgiveness real or unreal by how we treat people in community. That's why community is such a huge spiritual discipline. Also in community, we learn to give and receive grace and mercy. Grace and mercy, you can be forgiven, you can be loved. You know what grace means? It means when we tolerate the people that are kind of hard to get along with, okay? Some people need a little more grace than others because while I love you all, some of you are not the easiest to get along with. And you look at me and say, well, pastor, yeah, we know about that. You too, how about that, pastor? There are times where you're not the easiest person to get along with. I go, yeah, I know that. Talk to my wife, she'll fill you in. She's, got, she's written books. Do you understand what grace is? You give grace to people when they're tough to get. You don't give grace to people who are easy to get along with. You don't do that. You write them a thank you note, but you don't give them grace. You don't need to. There are people that get on your nerves, aren't there? And you love them, and you reach. And some people are what Rick Warren calls the uh, EG's extra grace required. Yeah, some people, and I love his definition, he said, if you're in a small group and you look around, usually somebody in that small group is one of those EGRs, the extra grace required person. And if you look around and there's nobody in the group that needs that, then it's probably you. So keep that in mind. (laughs) We all need, you know what, all of us, all of us love the Lord and and we're learning to love one another, but there are times that we're just jerks, Okay. Come see me and I'll tell you when you've been a jerk, all right? I keep a list. In my, no, I don't really. But all of us go through those. And the church is where we learn to overlook our jerkiness. 
and say, I love you anyway. It's where you learn to receive the grace, even when you say, you know, I was really stupid this last week. And people go, I know, but I love you. That's the grace and mercy. That, and why that's so important is because God gives you grace and mercy. You learn to receive it from the people around you. That means you learn to receive it from your Father. You learn to give it to the people around you, but it can only, only, only be done in community. All by yourself, you cannot give grace and mercy. There's nobody to give it to. Scripture says this, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You can only do that in community. Make every effort to maintain this bond of unity and peace can only happen when you're part of a community. Marriage community, family community, church community and as we make that effort as we make that effort as we overlook as we extend grace and mercy as we extend and make real forgiveness as we learn to walk in love with one another we meet jesus christ in a way that grows us up but it can only be done in community there's one other thing that we learn in community and it's simply this you learn how to submit When we hear this word, we, we tend to think in terms of, um, of Ephesians 5.22. Does anybody know what Ephesians 5? I'll start it. It says, wives, submit to your husband. See, you guys memorized that. Remember I said you memorized scripture? Okay, now I, want you to, now I want you to unmemorize that one. All right, throw that one away. Unless, and I'm telling you right now, I want you to forget it. I mean it. Unless you will memorize the verse right before it. If you do not memorize the verse right before it, I am commanding you to forget Ephesians 5.22. Erase it from your minds. Unless you'll memorize the verse right before. Because what does the verse right before it say? Ephesians 5.21. There it is. Then he goes on to talk about wives and husbands and kids and all those other things. He starts by looking at the church and community and says, you know what? You're going to submit to one another. What in the world does that mean? Well, how about this? We all have a tendency to have our own way, want our own way, try to get our own way. Submission is when you walk into a community. And by the way, when you're all by yourself, guess what you get? Your own way. No submission. Don't need to. But all it takes is being in community with one other person, and boy, you better learn how to submit. Because you don't get your own way. And wait till you're part of a family. Wait till you're part of a church. 200 people walking in the door saying, I want it my way. Let's, let's be Burger King here today, all right? My way, have it my way. And God says, no, it doesn't work like that. See, we don't get our own way with God. We submit. Where do you think you learn to submit? In a church. When you walk in and go, you know, I wouldn't do it that way. You know, if it was me, it would look different. If it was me, the pastor would do this. If it was me, I'd sing a different song because I don't like that song. I'd have a different style because I don't like that style. If it was me, I'd, I'd do it. I would get rid of this program and I'd add this program. Yeah, if it was you. 
but it's not you. You're part of a community. And as a part of a community, you learn to submit. You learn that you don't get your own way. You don't get your way here. You don't get your way in your family. You don't get your way in your marriage. And you don't get your way with God. And you learn that in community. All these things, love, forgiveness, grace, mercy, submission, are all signs of growing up, and they can only, only, only be done in community. You by yourself on a desert island can't do these types of things because there's nobody to do them with or to. There is no one another. Community is what we're called to. It's part of who God is. It's the model. It's what we're trying to be. Community also does this, my friends. Community keeps me accountable. And that's one of the things of community that should be part of what we do. It isn't one of the better things that we're learning how to do. We should learn how to do it a little bit better. This is what Scripture says. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. It even goes so far in one passage to say, Confess your sins one to another. Try that sometime. We used to. We don't do that any longer. A year or two after I started on this journey with Jesus Christ, my love began to grow cold. Um, I just, I was in college, a little after college, and I just, um, you know, I'd, I'd done the religious thing and the church thing and all of that, and and I wasn't really raised in a church. And I was pulling away from some things. And what brought me back was when community came to me and said, Doug, why are you pulling away? Your love's growing cold. What's going on? You didn't used to be that way. You need to come back. And I did. That was what? Summer of 1972. Here I am. If there hadn't been someone in community reach out to me and say, I'm seeing this in you. I love you. What you're doing is going to hurt you. If they just let me slip away, what would have happened? Where would I be? Where would my family be? Community keeps me accountable. So it just comes down to this one thing, and we're done. I can't be a successful Jesus follower alone. It cannot happen. It cannot be. It can't be done. Now, you can be a Jesus follower and be alone, sure. Live and die all by yourself and make absolutely no impact and will heaven's gates be open wide to you? Of course it will. Because you don't earn your way there. But don't call yourself successful. Don't say I was successful because by, by staying all by myself I was able to stay away from all of those sins out there and I kept myself personally pure. And God would say, so what? If I had followed your model, I would have stayed in heaven. I would have never sent my son down there to get involved. I would have been all by myself, nice and pure. But I met you at your need. I came to your world. I got involved. 
we are never more godly than when we're in healthy community. And as you live in that community, as the community learns to get healthy, as you become more and more part of what we do here, all the way from our small groups, and we got uh, several small groups that meet. My small group meets on a Friday night. George, your small group meets on a Wednesday, is it? And then we have other small groups that meet. Let us know if you're interested in being part of a small group. Email me, pastor at SalemFirst.com. We'll get you connected in a small group because that's a great great way to have the community as you get involved in that community even if your community is coming here on a sunday on a regular basis to be part of what we do here and then to volunteer in some of the things that we do as we reach out to the to the homeless as we reach out to the after school programs as we try to teach these kids did you see all those kids up here right here as you're part of being able to help them as well as you're part of community that you're created for and you do it to meet jesus christ and to be shaped You learn to love and be loved and to forgive and to receive forgiveness and how to give grace and mercy and how to submit because you got to do all those things with God and you can't do them by yourself. That's why we're called a community. You can be a Christian all by yourself, but don't call yourself successful. To be a successful believer, you join a community. You're part of it. You meet God right there and let him change you through the people who are sitting around you right now. Father, thank you so much. We just appreciate this time. We appreciate the time to, uh, to think now about this whole idea of community. To think about our commitment to community. Father, some of us are just learning how to do that. Some of us, our community within the church is, is something we do from time to time, and that's, that's wonderful, Father. There's nothing wrong with that, really. We love them, and, but Father, help them also understand, each one of us, that the more we can become involved in the community around us, the more you can shape us through the people around us. Let that community, first of all, Father, be with our, our marriages and our families. Let that be healthy as we learn to do all of these things. And then, Father, expand that to our friends and neighbors in the church. We want to grow up in you. We have so much to learn. Father, thank you for the people around us, for the church, for community. Amen.